You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing positive impact on their city and the world. Given the, the fact that we as a species are pushing the um, planet's um, systems to the brink, um, given the fact that you know half of mammal species have disappeared off the face of the planet in my lifetime, I'm not that bloody old. Um, I, I don't like the idea of living in a world where someone or something isn't singing about that and what it feels like. In all its um, difficult, dark, beautiful um, complexity. There are two topics that have my full attention at the moment. The first is about the ongoing process of understanding and accepting ourselves as individuals and as a species and of being able to bring all of ourselves to each of the moments we live. The second is the change in decisions and behaviour that can be brought about through awareness of the context within which we find ourselves living right now. My guest for this week is someone I admire and am inspired by, the way he's going about applying both of these things to his own life, and the impact that doing this is having on those he facilitates and performs to. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Matt Wicking, the subtle disruption that comes through an awareness of ourselves and our context. All right, Matt, it's good to be chatting to you today. Yeah, you too. Thanks for um, being willing to come on the podcast. Do you want to start by describing what you've chosen for our conversation and why? Sure. So we are seated at the table in my living room, which is a nice uh, light space. It's got lots of natural light, piano, couch, stereo, and... um, it's a spot that I spend quite a bit of time in, sort of in the centre of my house. Um, I work from home a lot of the time and also obviously live here. So um, it's sort of the centre of my world in lots of ways. Yeah. And I, I like it. Yeah, it has a really awesome feel with this place. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, it's good. And I can see we are, yeah, we're surrounded by lots of books and music. Are they two of, um, two of your big loves? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are, definitely. Um, music in particular. Yeah. Yeah. And we're in Fitzroy, is this Fitzroy North yep. that we're in? Yeah, which is inner north Melbourne. How would you describe Fitzroy North to people that, for people <laughs> that have never actually heard of the suburb or been here, or are from south of Melbourne and would never want to come up here? <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's a pretty nice suburb. Um, it, nice in both respects, so it's nice in that it's a, it's a, it's a sweet place to live. Um, it's also nice in that it's a pretty inoffensive place. Yeah. There's a there's a guy who writes a um, uh, books and a, and has a blog um, called Stuff White People Like, <laughs> yeah. and I think he rated North Fitzroy as the whitest suburb in Australia because <laughs> it's got <laughs> it's got a lot of um, like organic cafes and bakeries and stuff like that, you know, grocers and um, all the sorts of things you might expect in a gentle, um, nice hipster neighbourhood. Yeah. Um, what I like about it is that it, it's pretty chilled area and it's but it's also really close to a lot of great stuff so it's close to all of the a lot of the great live music stuff that happens in melbourne yeah um and you know it's it's so easy to access wherever i might want to get to especially north side yeah i feel like there is a lot of topics i want to cover with you today um off the top of my head music sustainability facilitation work that you do maybe some stuff around personal development but perhaps um, maybe I can just start talking about the first time I came across you. Sure. That might be a good place and we can just see where it leads from That'd there. interesting but, um, for me too. Yeah. It was, um, it was at the Purpose Conference last year that you were facilitating or would you call that facilitating or uh, emceeing? emceeing. Yeah, yeah, emceeing. And, um, yeah, I thought it was, uh, like, it was an amazing conference overall, like the, the quality of people. Uh, that were speaking, the quality of people that were participating was incredible. And um, you had this really uh, calm, um, just uh, almost humble way of weaving the whole thing together, which was so well fitted with the ethos of the conference and um, the people that were there. And I remember you started with this the, in the just before the keynote, or that you know, you kicked off the whole conference, you were doing a, a small piece, and you did a couple of things. You sang a song, 
I think. Yes, not at the start, but not I did later on. Yeah. Later on, okay, yeah. Um, but, and you also, but the thing I remember was this, um, it was like a statement of context mm. that you did. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's something I've been doing um, at events that I host recently, and it's an acknowledgement of context. I came up with the idea at a Tipping Point Australia conference a few years ago. Um, Tipping Point's a little organisation that I, I work for and with, um, trying to engage a, or create a cultural shift around climate change, particularly in the between the arts and sciences and humanities, different sectors. Yeah. Um, so I came up with it that then, workshopped it with a bunch of people, and the idea is to um, begin an event by noting and acknowledging what's going on around us in the world, the, the timing, the time at which we live and what's maybe uh, important or relevant about now yeah. for the event that we're about to have or the discussions we're about to have. I guess um, I, I always do an acknowledgement of country um, and it fits pretty neatly with that. Yeah. It, it's not meant to supersede or diminish that in any way at all. Um, in fact, I feel it should be complementary to it. So I basically say something along the lines of, um, we're meeting at a time when the human species is having an unprecedented impact on the planet. That means that the decisions, um, the discussions we have here, the decisions we make and any actions we take on leaving here will have an impact on um, future human generations, on others living now in other places and on non-human species as well. Um, so it's kind of about bringing the future into the room, yeah. I suppose. Um, and I see that as an important part of my work uh, as a as a facilitator or an MC or a host of an event, um, yeah, there's probably some lots of reasons why I think that's important. I guess. Yeah, I think we've we've talked a little bit about context before, mm. um, and I think for me that's I've had a profound shift in context, my understanding of context, even over the past um, month. <laughs> in a couple of the books that I've been reading. Um, and it's just blown my mind in terms of where I am in time, where I am in space, where I am in history, where I am in biology right. as well. And yeah, what, I mean, what, have you had feedback about that? Yeah, I've had amazing feedback about it actually. People, people really resonate with it. Um, well, it really resonates with people. I don't know which way around it goes, but anyway, it's resonant. Um, and it's, yeah, I've had lots of people ask if they can use it and I've said, absolutely, that's, that's the point. Um, and I've put it up on my LinkedIn page and people have shared it and grabbed it and been, I know people have been using it and giving me feedback and on how it's gone. Every time I use it, someone will mention it and come up and talk about it, which is exactly the idea. I... I don't know, I, I guess, I, you know, I spent 10 years as a sustainability consultant working with organisations, trying to help them integrate sustainability, this big concept of, you know, the future and where we're heading and how we can live harmoniously with or within the planet's ecosystem and still achieve the things we want to achieve in our lives. And... It, it, I guess it has struck me at some point that, that that context is often missing from what we do and it feels like it's a really useful reminder. It feels like it's, I like the idea of stopping and going, hang on a sec, this is, this is an important moment and we need to keep this moment in mind as we do what we do. Yeah. Um, so if we're having a conversation at a board table and it's about um, buying a new building that we're going to move into as an organisation, say hypothetically, then if we do that with a mindset towards future generations, towards the impact that our decision might have on them and um, on the sort of more holistic picture, then I would hope that you might make a slightly different decision or perhaps a significantly different decision about what sort of a building you buy, whether it's efficient or not, whether it's located close to public transport or not, whether it's um, accessible to people with disabilities or not, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that's... I don't expect something like that to solve big problems like those, but it's a small intervention, I suppose. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, it's easy to forget <laughs> right? as well, I think, because although, I don't know, I, I guess I'm, I'm saying that I've had a, 
a big change over the past month. It'd be interesting to see. I'm, I'm interested to see how that mm. lasts in my own life, that, mm. just that comprehension of context. But, um, you know, when there's a whole lot of other incentives thrown at us and a whole lot of cultural context, which um, can sometimes hide the, the broader context. Right. It can be, yeah, it can be easy to forget. Yeah, well, where, I mean, context is kind of a bit of a jargony word in itself, isn't it? Like, what does that mean? But I, that, what you just said raises something for me, which is that we're, we're living in a time, like, we're, it's, it's easy to be distracted. And it's easy to get caught up in ourselves and our own flashy um, culture, which is really exciting. It's an exciting time in lots of ways to be alive, you know. Yeah. Um, most of the music that's ever been available is available at your fingertips. In, um, same for same goes for films, whether legally or illegally. Um, there's new stuff coming around the corner and down the pipe all the time to us. Where in Australia, at, at least, a, a lot of people live pretty comfortable lives. Um, we can eat food from all around the world. Like it's an exciting, fast-paced time to be alive. Mm. That is um, really what do you call it? It's like a it's tantalizing and it's sort of so appealing. I think a lot of us, it's so easy to forget what, um, what impacts that might be having on others, uh, on other parts of the world, on ice, polar ice caps, um, on the atmosphere, and by, um, as a consequence on future generations and, and you know, the, the potential for human life yeah. on Earth to continue. And I reckon that's a pretty freaking important thing to be thinking about. And I don't want to um, engage with my culture and not incorporate that stuff into it. I think that's a, a less in, interesting or useful way to be. So I've kind of taken that on, I guess, as part of my role, whether I'm facilitating or emceeing an event um, or um, I suppose in my music as well, that's a, it's a, it's a thread that I'm, I'm weaving in there. Yeah. It's that context. So I'm not just having a chat with you, I'm having a chat with you at a particular time in human history while lots of stuff's going on that's important for me to be aware of in some way, shape or form. Yeah. It's a kind of systems thinking or something, I suppose, yeah, you know, zooming is, out and then mm. coming back into the present. And I feel like that's an opportunity for a richer uh, life and a, and a way of making better decisions for yourself and for your community as well. Yeah, I think so too. How, can you talk about how you live in the knowledge of that, the context that we're living in, like how has that influenced the way you live on a daily basis? It's, um, it's, it's led me to go through periods of depression. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm feeling good right now, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's had a profound psychological impact on me. It's, it's not easy. I think that's a, um, the easier route is probably to ignore it and go for the bells and whistles. Yeah. Um, join, the, join the consumption engine. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's had that sort of an impact. It's also, uh, it's, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I try and live my life personally in a sustainable way, I suppose, if that's what you're wondering about. Yeah, I guess I am, yeah. Like, how, yeah, the decisions about, I don't know, um, what you buy, uh, the jobs that you do, mm. yeah, that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. all of that stuff. I, I do all of that, those things. I, you know, the, the house is pretty damn efficient and it's beautifully cool in boiling hot summer because it's got really great insulation and draft proofing and all that sort of um, stuff and as a sustainability consultant for a decade I've got some good basic knowledge of that what to do and but I, I think to to suggest that my intellectual awareness of the context that I'm living in and my university studied knowledge of environmental crisis and so on would directly lead to me making those choices about how I live that would be um, like a, a bit of a, a bit too neat. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think in reality, what ha has happened for me, and I imagine, I expect it's similar for lots of other people, is you, something happens and you find yourself doing a thing differently, and then you, um, that starts to be integrated into your life. Maybe you meet some friends who inspire you, who live differently, and then you, um, you take on one of their activities, like you ride to work with them one time because yeah. they suggest it, and all of a sudden you're someone who cycles to work. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, and then you go, well, cycling to work, hey, look at this, it's good for my health, it's good for the environment, and so on and so forth. But did I do it because I sat down and listed what are the things I do and what are the ways I could be, have a lesser impact on the environment? No, I didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, it's complex, you know, and I, I want to 
I don't want to kid myself about how rational I am, I suppose, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's a lot of the work that I do as well. The, a lot of, another thread that I bring into all the work I do is um, I, I like the idea of being a reminder that we're not rational in the way, not completely rational in the ways that we think we are, that we're complex human animals. We live an embodied emotional existence um, with all our senses engaged in the world and that... Um, we're social creatures who are very much driven by social norms and habit and um, the physical surroundings that we find ourselves in. Mm. And yes, part of also how we make decisions is like, um, is we think about stuff and we make calls for ourselves and we shift. But that's all messed up in a big soup. Um, and I reckon we forget very, very often how, the, well, we think the rational plays a stronger role than it actually does. And that's not just a feeling. I mean, that's borne out by all the behaviour change research you'll ever read. That's, you know, borne out by um, studies that you hear about why people have made changes to their houses for environmental reasons or um, did they do it because it was good for the environment? Did they do it because uh, it saved the money or did they do it because their neighbours um, did it, did the same thing, like buying a water tank or putting solar panels on their roof? Yeah. And it, more often than not, it's because their neighbours did it rather than <laughs> the other two. Um, the other, the other two are influential, but to a lesser extent, but we don't realize that. Yeah. So I'm interested in how that plays out in workplaces, how that plays out in social groups, how that plays out in, um, all sorts of, in education places, spaces and all sorts of spaces in our lives. Hmm. Do you, well, yeah. I just want to cut in for a second and maybe talk about that a little bit more, but you, you were just talking sure. recently how you've spent a couple of weeks in Japan and. I'm interested in, in what you think about, like how do, how do you, when you imagine the world that humans are about to inhabit over the next say 20, 30 years, do you think mm. of a world like it is in Japan right now? Or, and are you hopeful about where we might be going? Or mm. you know, what, what sort of comes into your mind when you're daydreaming about that stuff? Mm. I don't know if I've got such a clear picture of the future. Uh, I expect it's probably um, there isn't there isn't one answer to that. You know, what does the world look like now? It, does it look like just like a place like Japan? No, it's it's phenomenally diverse across different sure. cities and countries. So yeah. I expect there'll be perhaps there'll be places like that that have a a mix of um, yeah. Japan's a fascinating place, obviously, with its own rich, long history, and also a pretty is pretty interconnected with Western capitalism and um, it's a in very much an industrialized country, huge population on a small uh, a set of islands. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. It's beautiful. It's, you know, contradictory. So, yeah, but what, what do I see in... I don't know. And am I hopeful? Yeah, I don't know about that either. Um, I don't have a clean answer for that. I think uh, I, I probably go through uh, phases. I think it's worth, I think it's worth maintaining um, positive intent. That's what I. That's what I want to do, in what I do. Mm. So, whether whether the the future thirty or sixty years from now looks bright, um, I don't know. But whether it does or it doesn't, I want to maintain positive intent through those years. Yeah, positive intent for yourself and the actions that you're taking. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the most important thing for me. I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Hope's a, hope's a funny one. I don't really know how I feel about hope. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's not it's not funny as such, but it's it's just a yeah. I don't know. It's a complex idea. I feel like I should be more um, clearly hopeful, and I, I you know I do. Uh, I think through my actions I show hope. Otherwise, I'd give up. But I do all sorts of cool shit to try and have a positive impact. You know, and I I run or facilitate the Center for Sustainability Leadership Fellowship Program in Melbourne, and that gives me incredible buoyancy the 25 uh, wonderful people who do that every year with me as participants uh, from all different sectors across the community who are passionate and energized and interested in doing good stuff you know like I know that's good for my heart and um, and it's a nice role to play like I really dig that uh, it's kind of a mentoring role it's a creating a space where people can be honest and open um, so I don't, yeah, I don't really know what I think the future looks like, but I know what sorts of thing, things I want to do in the here and now to, to move it 
in a positive way as much as possible, I suppose. I'm yeah. getting clearer on that, yeah. on my role and how I play that. Yeah, yeah. Is, let's talk a bit more about CSL and how, you, mm. how you're doing that through CSL, how you, how you, I guess, seeing your role as bringing about that, I guess, that change or that influence through something like that. Yeah, yeah it's a nice gig. I feel really fortunate to do it. As a, so I'm a, I'm a freelance facilitator, effectively, as, and, a, and, a, and a musician. That's my, the mix of stuff I do. Um, and CSL is one part of that mix. So I work there two days a week. I run retreats and workshops for the 25 fellows in the year and it's uh, yeah it's a really nice role like I get to bring all of myself to it so by that I mean um, I get to um, be serious and I get to have intellectual conversations with a group of people who care about having a positive impact in the world um, and not just have those conversations but help to um, facilitate them and to bring them about and push them deeper if they can go deeper or you know whatever I get to bring my sense of humor and my silliness to it as well that's often very useful um, I get to be serious I get to be um, all of the, all of the different sides of me are, are valued in that role yeah and that's pretty cool that's pretty rare as yeah. Well. yeah yeah it is so I feel pretty lucky about that to be honest I mean it's the, the biggest barrier to that is probably me you know um, that's a personal ongoing learning that you, you, you I'm, I'm learning journey that I'm on to b bring more openness and more um, authenticity and more um, sides of myself to that role and then also at the same time keep the focus on the group of 25 people who are there because that's what it's about it's not actually about me yeah um, so that's a nice interesting balance um, to how do you hold a, a room and a group and a space safely strongly firmly but also l let it be owned by the people who are there not yourself mm. and that's kind of the nice juggle that I do in a workshop and in um, when emceeing a, a conference as well and maybe that's that softness that you talked about in the emceeing of purpose or whatever um, the idea of emceeing an event was quite foreign to me that was one of the first big sort of conferences that I did that role for and I think for a while I was quite intimidated by it because it felt like I had to be a certain type of person. Yeah. You see MCs at events and they're kind of, you know, <laughs> finger pointing and... <laughs> That's what an MC is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I guess I've, I've, I'm finding a way to be myself in that role and I really like that. And it, um, yeah, I think that's, that's such a key thing. And I think that's something I'm trying to bring you know I've I guess I've got my own experience of life and work and trying to create positive change in the world and that's a perspective I bring to the crew at CSL is helping each of those individuals whether it's through the workshops or the coaching that I do with them um, and just through the experience of being with them for eight months for them to find the way to be the most of themselves they can be in whatever role they're playing because I think we're we're more wonderful and beautiful and uh three-dimensional and um, impactful when, we, when we're able to do that. I think that's what um, organisations often squish out of people. You know, yeah. there's the kind of the, the cliche of the grey open plan office space with the tie around your neck and the, you know, the, the collar done up tightly and all of those sort of um, symbols of, um, what do you call it, disempowerment. Okay. And it's not always true, but there's a reason why we have that sense of workplaces, I think. And I, I think in creating big organisations that need a certain level of control over their employees, we do create conditions that don't necessarily allow people to bring their full selves and their, their 100% of their wonderfulness to the thing. Because yeah. that might be hard to control <laughs> and hard to manage. Understandable, like genuinely difficult, challenging, you know. Mm. But I, th I, I want to see, like, you know, I want to see all the, the good people in the world doing good stuff. I want to see more of them be braver to bring more, more of themselves to what they do. And that might mean their sense of humour or their oddness or their, you know, whatever. I don't know exactly what that looks like for different people. But I, I think you know it when you're doing it. <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine that you can only, as you've kind of alluded to, but you can only do that for others because you've been able to do that for yourself. Like you can only provide those spaces for them to be who they are, for all their kind of quirkiness or mm. whatever it is to come out because 
you've gone through the process of being as well, you know, and you're still going through it as you indicated. Yes. Of, of allowing, <laughs> that was a cat running through. <laughs> um, of of allowing more or putting yourself in situations or being more at peace with yourself and allowing yourself to naturally flow. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely would agree with you about that. Going going through it, I'm on a parallel adventure through this stuff myself, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, I've done work in the corporate space. I've I've taught people how to be change agents in their workplaces through the Monash Sustainability Institute. I've um, studied psychology and done work in that space. Um, I've got lots of different experiences of mine that I can bring to that, and I've yeah definitely am going through that myself and trying to yeah it's I'm I'm not standing outside of this experience telling anybody what to do, but it's useful for me to be going through the same thing. So I can I can definitely relate to a lot of what the group that I work with, and groups, people who I work with. But I feel like that's something that we can all do. You know, I mean, the idea of compassion and seeing yourself in others. I've just learned the last year or so what an important um, skill or um, what do you call that? It's not even, it's a, a, a thing. What an important thing <laughs> that is <laughs> um, for being a facilitator and that, if, uh, if, if you're facilitating a group and there's a, a difficult situation that breaks out or a conflict or someone um, says something controversial or whatever, then finding compassion for that person is critical to be able to work with whatever's there and get a good result rather than creating fracture in the group and um, a negative outcome. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going through that, all of that learning myself. And that's what I love about the, the work I do. You know, I feel like, um, I don't know if I answered your why are we in my house, but I can answer that now. I, I'm finding more and more that my work, I'm, I'm j- I just, I just want to be me in my work. Um, and it, fi- it feels fitting that I work at home. I, so I know some people struggle with that because it's hard to turn it off it's hard to but I don't, I don't need that and I don't want to do that with my stuff because I get to just be me and I, the more I can get to just be me the better it is mm. uh, and my work mix is you know I mean the, the clothes I wear to work the same clothes I wear on the weekend are the same it's just it's just all blurred in together and I freaking love it like it's really cool yeah. um, there's times when you know you, you bring different parts of yourself to different roles of course and there's there are clients who I work for who are you know whether they're government clients or more formal bigger corporations or whatever where you bring different elements to yourself where you shift the way you speak about things and you, you might draw on your corporate experience more than mm. you know my being in a band experience or whatever but it's I love the connections between it all a few years ago I remember when I did the CSL program myself in 2012 I um I was confused about this mix of all the different things that I was doing. I felt like I was spinning lots of plates in my work life. Uh, I was doing sustainability consulting. I was doing a bit of facilitation and teaching stuff. I was doing music and I couldn't see what threaded them all together. It felt quite disparate. Yeah. Um, and a good mate of mine at the time, Luke Hockley, still a good mate, said, um, Matt, the thing that connects all those things is you. You're at the center of them all and you're doing them all. And I was just, it just seemed like the most stupidly obvious realization, but it actually hit me quite, quite well and cleanly. And I, I've just sort of embraced that since then, I think. And so, yeah, the, I, that's why at, at a, an event like Purpose, when Wild One, the organizers, said, We know you sing music, we know that it's got some, you know, an abstract poetic way of engaging with some of the topics that we're talking about, like what it means to be alive and trying to do good stuff in the world and how, how it feels to be alive at this time and all that sort of stuff. When they said, will you sing a song on the second day? I was like, at first I was uncomfortable, but then at, at the idea of, you know, being the MC and then also singing a song. And then I, I thought, no, I, I think I should do that. I should bring that side of me to this uh, role, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't normally. And it, it, it did, it, it, I think it had a good impact on the day. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was nice. And so it was nice to be able to do that. And it was beautiful to be asked. And it was beautiful to have, uh, to work with people who believe in the power of that sort of stuff too. Mm. I said a few things before I sang that song. And I I talked about the the fact that I think we've forgotten, well, that music is a form of magic. And I think we've forgotten how powerful it is. 
and I, I do believe that. Um, I don't I don't believe there's literally a form of actual um, <laughs> mystical magic, but I, I do think it's it's magical and that we'll never properly understand it, and we shouldn't even need to try. But that you understand in inverted commas a thing like that by doing it and experiencing it and trying it in different places, um, and bringing it to unique environments and um, and remembering what it has done for you. You know, we sing at uh, all sorts of important times in our lives at uh, birthdays and funerals at church uh, or synagogue or whatever. Um, we sing in the shower when we're, you know, feeling good and we sing in the car when no one else is listening. But then singing's kind of become this, like, um, profession that only certain people can do and that if you're good enough, Delta Goodrum will turn a chair around for you. <laughs> and, you know, um, but I... And I, so I do sing in that capacity. I sing, you know, as a, as a musician in a band in, in, at venues and bars and stuff and events. But I also love the... It, it, it teaches me a lot about less rational ways of engaging with and being with in, in the world and less um, intellectual uh, activities and about the power of abstract engagement with complex ideas about metaphor and myth and story and you know, how all that stuff's powerful. Uh, and so it's a be- it's this beautiful ongoing lesson that I get from doing music stuff and it definitely feeds into all my work. Yeah. The, yeah, that idea of, say, a rational mind between a, a, and compared to a, a mind that enjoys and embraces with story and mm. the impact of facts versus the impact of a narrative of someone, mm. I think is pretty interesting even when the story might not be factually true but emotionally mm. it's true mm. um, or you know it ties into a myth that that sums up so much about our condition yes right now um, is that kind of the stuff that you're talking about yeah it yeah, is some of that yeah. yeah absolutely I mean that idea that uh, I guess as an example that someone that I come back to sometimes is this idea of the you know the IPCC reports the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change yeah there are a group of a few thousand scientists who every four or five years pull together the latest and best science from around the world on climate change and present it to policymakers and governments and, uh, and people around the world to say, here's where we're at, here's what we know. And they've done this a handful of times now over the last couple of decades. And uh, each time they, well, the last time they released a report, which was a few years ago now, there were headlines that picked up, so a report full of, facts and the, you know the best science we have on the topic and they reports in newspapers varied from uh, latest IPCC report says that climate change is real we're doing it and we need to act now to on the other end of the spectrum latest IPCC report says there's been a pause and warming is not <laughs> happening or it's not as bad as we thought or it's cool now don't worry about it yeah nothing to see here same set of facts completely different meaning taken from the facts yeah. um, there are scientists like Graham Pearman, who used to be the head of atmospheric sciences at CSIRO, who himself went into a deep depression because he uh, thought that if he got better and better data on something like climate change, that people would change their minds. And he did that. He, he worked at the top of his profession, world-respected scientist in that field, uh, and but hit a personal crisis point and, sl- and got pretty low reportedly. There were some articles and interviews done with him a few years ago um, because he realised that that wasn't the case and that facts and stats are uh, the meaning we give to them is is uh, a consequence of the context and the, the way we understand the context that those stats or facts sit in and they don't ha- their meaning is actually um, subjective which is a painful and weird idea to get your head around but if you look at the way we're responding to something like climate change or not responding, it's actually pretty clear that that's what's happening. And the way that a report like that can get warped, mm. um, it's, it's quite amazing. So uh, uh, watching the US political s- stuff going on at the moment, the lead up to the election, there's lots of similar um, parallels that you can draw on all sorts of topics where you see interviews with people who say, well, that, those, are, those are your facts, but I've got my own facts or those are your facts but I, I know what I believe yeah 
Um, I think Newt Gingrich was interviewed the other day and said exactly that phrase about a, a reporter presenting facts to him on a particular topic. And it doesn't make any sense because surely the empirical scientific facts are, are a, a thing. But when you realise that humans are, are complex, fallible, emotional, socially uh, driven beings, animals, you start to, I think, well, I, I forgive us a little bit more for our inability to um, take facts on board and, and apply them in a consistent way. Mm. Um, and I don't think we should expect ourselves to do that. Yeah. There's a song by Bonnie Prince Billy that I really like. It's called Wolf Among Wolves. He says, why can't I be judged as what I am? A wolf among wolves, not a man among men. And it's, I, it's a nice... Um, nice analogy or a nice sort of reminder to me when I listen to it about uh, I like the idea of seeing us as what we actually are rather than, than the way that we or as much as we can you know but the, the fallibility of us as humans is actually it's, it's real and it's part of who we are and I think we cover that up in all sorts of ways you know we are storytelling animals we're pattern making animals we fill in gaps mm. We fill in gaps visually when we see, you know, um, lots of optical illusions are examples of that. Yeah. Um, we, we turn things into patterns where they're not there. We fill in gaps in sound. If, if there's little um, bits missing, you can still hear the whole. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that stuff's really important for understanding what's going on around us in the world. And it's easy to forget though, because we're constantly making sense of complex, messy reality. It's just important, I think, to remember that that sense that we make is not the, the true, whole, perfect everything. It's just a sense that we're making. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. Itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does. Um, I just want to, yeah, just to reflect a little bit on my own experience of the past couple yeah. of years and, and what you were talking about just then. But, you know, I... I started my working career in a really corporate culture in the consulting world as well. Consulting in IT, consulting in a big mm. fur consulting company. And I hit depression as soon as I got there. Right. And I, it took me a long time to actually work out what the hell was going on. I don't think I was really prepared for the workforce. But now looking back on it, I think part of it was just that I felt like I had to curtail who I was to fit into that consulting model. Right. And I had to had to dress a certain way and be a certain type of person um, and and not speak not speak the truth that I felt. You know, mm. I didn't there wasn't really there wasn't scope for that. It was very narrow in what they were aiming to do and they wanted a particular type of person to go ahead and do it. And it wasn't until I guess I had a there was a slow awakening that I went through but Last year, the I guess the where it really finally dropped to me, and I kind of allowed myself to be uh, as more and more elements of myself, because as as you've kind of indicated, it is an ongoing journey. Mm. But and to bring my whole self to a situation was um, when I was in a group of people that really allowed me to do that, mm -hmm. and just gave me the time to kind of unravel a little bit, and. Um, I guess reflected back to me the things they were seeing that resonated or that they felt were me when I was really lit up and aligned and maybe times when they weren't as well. Yeah. And um, I think that was an important part of that journey for me. It was just having a group that actually just allowed me to bring all mm. parts of myself and were curious about what would actually come out. And um, it's just been, uh, I can't say how good it's been for me. And now, you know, I. I find myself going to job interviews and I just feel so like I can talk about whatever. Like right. if, I, if I'm going to go to a job interview or talk to someone now and I feel like I have to talk within myself or constrain myself, I know it's not right for me. Yeah, you okay. Know. So you can, you can feel that openness or otherwise. Yeah. So, That's um, great. Yeah, I'm really, I, kinda, I guess I'm just kind of resonating with the journey that you've been talking about there over the past little while as yeah. well and how... It's just, I feel so excited and liberated by it. Mm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I, I think the, I mean, it, it would be easy to, to pigeonhole or box things into, you know, that, you know, we've talked a couple of times about the corporate world and that, that I don't think that that's a unique aspect of the corporate world necessarily. No. And yeah. I, d I don't think, I don't doubt that there are corporate spaces where there is a real openness and a, 
an ability to, you know, bring more of yourself to the role and so on. Yeah. I know I work with some good organizations doing that sort of stuff too. So uh, that definitely exists. And there's always pockets within big organizations too where that's, uh, where people are making that happen, which is cool. And I know that through my facilitation work because I've met with lots of other facilitators who work in those contexts. And, and a big part of the role, as I see it, of, of a facilitator is to help create what, you know, what sometimes gets referred to as a safe space, uh, which is a, is a space where people feel they can trust each other and be open and, and uh, reveal things that might otherwise feel vulnerable and know that that's going to be okay. Uh, say things that they might not normally share and, and know that they'll be heard and that, that will be okay, that they won't be judged or um, people won't be s- cynical about what they're saying. Yeah. Um, and that they'll, that's, that's a beautiful space to be able to be in if you can get there. Yeah. And it can be really transformative, which is, I think, what you're talking about, the it transformative is. thing, that effect that it had on you, mm. which is cool. Yeah. Um, is that yeah, that's sort of what you're indicating that you try and create in the facilitation work that you do? That's the idea. Well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, CSL is a beautiful, partly a beautiful role and uh, program because we have eight months to work with people to, to create that sort of uh, space, yeah. including some deep dive retreats over weekends or a, a handful of half a dozen days. So, yeah, that's amazing. But you can you can go some way to it in even a, a day-long workshop or you know, a shorter period of time. Mm. You can do it with, a, with an individual across a, you know, a bar table drinking a beer yeah. in, a, in a matter of an hour. You can, by the way you respond to things, by your, your genuine, sincere um, openness and okayness with whatever comes, you can really help people to feel comfortable and you know, cool and all right to be, to be there and be present and open and whatever. Yeah. And I love that. I love exploring that. I love trying to help bring that about for others. I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of how that works. You know, it's, yeah. it's as complex as, as, as things get, I think, because it's, it's about the messy work of human behavior and emotions. And yeah. um, everyone brings so much to any, any room or any group situation. And part of the role is bringing up what's otherwise sitting there implicit and making it explicit. Um, and part of the role is in finding, I guess, is getting in and having a go as a facilitator at working with whatever comes up. So it's kind of a bit of improvisation mm. there, yeah. um, which I like. And it's, an, you know, it's another analogy and uh, with the music making stuff I do, I suppose, because I quite like, I mean, every song I write starts with an improvisation as well. So that's about trusting yourself and knowing that something good will come. Yeah. That um that links up a couple of ideas that we've been talking about, like the one, the one that you were just referring to earlier about seeing humans as they are or seeing things as they are, mm. and then working with working with whatever comes up. I really, that's been another a great thing that I've learned through perhaps meditation has been a big part of mm. uh, both of those things for me. Just um, being able to just sit in a moment and uh, appreciate it for what it is. Uh, and the, some of the reading I've been doing recently has been about appreciating, I guess, as, a, as we're talking about, the broader context for what it is and yeah, also right. understanding humans. Um, but then allowing, allowing improvisations to come up and, and like it's that trust and it's that having, cur- having the courage to then follow it mm. as well. And <laughs> one of the ways that I, that I first came across this was this um, free write. It's got a free write. Free write fling for 30 days and it was just for 15 minutes set a timer and write a stream of consciousness for that 15 minutes yeah, cool. do that for 30 days and it was just what came out was pretty amazing in itself hmm. but um, just the fact that I think before that I always felt like I had to get it perfect in my head before it came out yeah yeah um, yeah I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that that improvisation process for you as a as a musician and a creative person as well yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's really true. I, I mean, I feel like we, we improvise all the time, actually. Hmm. We, there's just certain experiences of improvisation that we find feel uncomfortable. I mean, you know, in, in conversation, this conversation's a total improvisation. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, all my answers are scripted and I've planned it beforehand, but <laughs> you know, it's t- total improvisation and we're, we're just doing it and I'll say this thing and then you'll say another thing after this and you're not you know, necessarily thinking ahead to what you might say entirely or planning it out. You're with me as we go and so we're present with each other as we talk and it works and I don't know how many conversations I've had in my life, but they've all <laughs> mostly been improvisations and they've all worked to a certain extent. Some of them have been pretty awkward, I'm sure, but <laughs> you know, it generally works. So we do it. But then we get up in front of a group and we have to do a presentation in inverted commas or something like that and we, or just a presentation, and we, we freeze up, we clam up, and we forget that what we need to do is stand, be with the group of people in front of us and talk, say some stuff. And in, in lots of ways, it's, uh, it's a lot simpler than what we make it. Yeah. We have tips and rules for good pre- presentation, giving and blah, 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 you know. But it really gets... Um, Get, and I think the stress builds from, from that. And I, yeah, definitely the same with facilitation. I mean, I, sometimes, things get, sometimes things get tricky in a group or I'll, I'll be brought in to do something like a conflict resolution, for example, for a pair of people in an organization or a group of people who are um, stuck on something, maybe having difficulty or disagreement about something um, that matters to them that they can't work through just on their own. And that's a really, um, you know, a real exercise of trusting in a process and uh, being, needing to be a clear communicator, but also knowing that you're not gonna know where things are gonna go. You can't. And that you have to just uh, wade in with good intent and uh, clear principles behind you and give it a go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I w- and, and probably also good to have had a bit of training and practice in that before you <laughs> wade on in. But you know, the, the idea of, I did the group work Institute um, Advanced Diploma in Group Facilitation last year and that was one of the really nice lessons that came out of that for me was just the I don't know the importance of the willingness to get in and give it a go and it can be you know same thing with music so I um, play with my band the General Assembly and we will at a rehearsal sometimes someone will just start something so the drummer will just start a group and then everyone will join in and I used to, when I first started singing 20 years ago, it was a very, very, very scary thing to just start singing over the top of something and just tr- try improvising. Um, but now I just do it and I've, it's, it's fine. I've sort of broken through something, I think, broken through the um, some of the layers of nerves or worrying about looking or sounding silly and stuff like that. But it did take a lot of trying and, and uncomfortableness to get there. Mm. I think you can only really get there through doing it. Yeah, but I do find that doing it in that context helps me in the other context. Yeah, I was going to say guess. that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So uh, and and it's probably a little bit like um, a bit like the um, the mindfulness practice that you, I know you've done, which where you know you perhaps the mindfulness activity might be to just um, not judge or not not let your thoughts not not let yourself get caught up in your thoughts just to see things as they are and let them pass by for example mm. and some people get frustrated when they start meditating because they 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 realize that they they keep thinking of stuff and that they get they get stuck on thoughts and but the the actual activity that you're doing is the letting go so noticing that you're getting yeah. stuck is good <laughs> because that's the first step and then let it go and then you know if you notice again it's, you don't need to be frustrated that you're not doing it right because if you then just do the next thing and let it go again then you're doing it right all that's the time. right yeah and it's that's the muscle the muscle is the noticing and the letting it go for that particular activity yeah and i guess there's probably muscles um you know uh, that we're exercising when we improvise and that you get better at it yeah one of the things i'd love to do next is do some um improvisation training like do some you know whether it's theater based stuff I've never done anything like that I've always been pretty scared of it to be honest but I feel like it could be really great for all of this stuff yeah. and just personally great yeah I did a I've done an improv workshop oh cool just for a night and it how was, was it? it was amazing yeah. yeah it was just revealing how I I do plan ahead mm. and <laughs> and in planning ahead I kind of I miss the thing that just happened Right. If that makes sense. So I'm responding <laughs> to something that was two minutes ago. Well, not, yeah. it's more like 20 seconds ago in improv rather than the thing that just happened. And yeah. then the thing that I do, it doesn't fit anymore because the scene's changed. You yeah, know what right, I mean? Yeah, and yeah. and uh, it was, yeah, it was, an, it was a great experience in uh, learning about that. I wanted to talk about, I'll tell a story or, you know, you can fill in the gaps in this story as well about, I guess, 
about improv a little bit and about facilitation that we were both involved with. And it was when we were doing, um, you're helping facilitate the work we're doing at Code for Australia when we had a nine new people join and we had to split them into three teams. And you had the idea that why don't we allow them to pick their own teams? And that, that idea freaked me out when you first brought it. <laughs> I was like, nah, that, that does not sound good. I don't think that will end well. Why did it freak you out? Um, because I, th- I think I immediately went back to two captains, kids along the fence at school mm. and one kid being like the last one picked and, you know, being devastated, mm. that kind of thing. And then being one really good team and one, you know, not so good team or unbalanced. It went to that kind of For scenario. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I'd never seen it done any other way. And then, you know, it was, we'd had the whole week with them. I thought it was actually, did we do it on the Friday? We did the last it on the Friday day? of the yeah. Yeah, fifth day we'd been together. Yeah. And we, um, and you can, you can tell it from your point of view, but, you know, we, uh, we took them through this, or, you know, you took them through this process of saying, well, this, these are the skills that we need and these are kind of people's preferences. And mm. so let's go for it. And the outcome wasn't known like it was no. pretty it was a bit it was a bit risky we had built up some trust with the group in the over the four days prior to that um but it could have gone in lots of different directions you're right yeah it could have and then the other thing i just wanted to say before you know you can you can mm. talk about it as well is um just that i think i it was like i halfway through the process i'd already solved it and i knew what the teams were going to be and, it, and they ended up being that but you, the way you were able to just stay in the moment, even though that was probably obvious to you as well, but mm. just stay with it and allow the group to come to that conclusion and to sort of um, talk through all their concerns and just get them all done so that it was just, yes. it was like everything just settled, like a calm motion. It was just like, mm. cool, it, of course, yeah. we're done. So yeah. then all, all nine people or all 11, including us two who were there, felt that it was uh, the outcome was almost inevitable yeah I didn't we didn't know that at the start yeah it, it was it was cool it was really nice to do I'm, I appreciate you trusting me to, to run it even though you were afraid <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for that the um, I hadn't I haven't run a process quite like that before it was getting nine people into three groups of three and they needed to be some people from different disciplines in each group so certain disciplines had to be represented in each of the groups so there was some um, criteria I guess I, I suppose the principle that sat behind it for me was or a couple of principles one was that um, if we put people into groups and assigned them then there would likely be less ownership over those groups and those combinations there would be a sense that if the combos didn't work in some way if some conflict broke out or if people weren't communicating as well as they would hope then there's less ownership there and less of a sense of, well, we, we made this call, we, we chose these groups and agreed on it yeah. explicitly um, in public with others around. And, um, you know, mum and dad put us in the groups and it's their fault kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, so that's, that's one thing, one principle that was behind it. And I feel like that's pretty sound that if people can take ownership for their own decisions and they're more likely to um, work with them as they go and, deal with them in different ways if, if difficulties come up and also probably feel more inspired and about it on the, on the positive side and then I guess the other thing was um, uh, you were talking about the, the, the being patient with the process yeah, uh, and letting people come to something in their own time and I think that that's it's very tempting sometimes when you can see what you think is the right answer um, but it, it ain't necessarily right, firstly. So, you know, you did have an idea and it did turn out to be right, but it might not have been. Yeah. Um, and th- I think you, you probably can't... I, I think that's a, a misconception we have about learning uh, that, that we think we can uh, download or upload um, information to people and really it needs it's best if it comes from the person yeah. through their experience yeah and sure you can hand over your tips your wisdom your ideas your advice but i mean you know from advice your parents tried to give you as a kid and we all do and or or they still try and give you perhaps <laughs> or um the things that a, a, a 
teacher taught you back at school or at university that only landed for you later when you actually had an experience and, and that combination is powerful yes it is and uh, yeah so I'm a big believer in handing things over to the participants to to create for themselves for all of those reasons and also if helping them in the process to, to get there themselves you know I talked before about that idea of um, seeing things as they are I guess one of the caveats to put around that idea is that I don't know how things are and as one individual, um, white middle class male in a wealthy industrialised nation in 2016, I've got a particular perspective on how things are and what the world's like and what's going on and it's really narrow and it's really privileged and it's really um, biased. So for me to suggest that I could choose the groups that work is pretty arrogant actually and um, there was some really beautiful diversity in that room. So the nine people came from, which is a credit to Cope for Australia, the nine people came from six different countries around the world, um, different cultures, different um, levels of English language skill, all, all great, but different, you know, nativeness with English and different ideas about work and teamwork and communication, all that stuff. It's important to give that over to that group and say, what do you think? Yeah. I reckon. Yeah. So it felt really good. I'm glad it went well. Um, but, you know, for, but I, I, I'm not surprised that it did either. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I think tr trusting the process once we set it up is, is critical. Yeah. Um, for, aside from anything else, for the group to then trust us and you going forward. Mm. When we say we're going to do a thing, we'll do a thing and we'll do it properly. We'll, we'll roll it through, you know. Yeah. 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 And the groups, they're working really well together. Mm, and I that's think, great. And one of the other things that it, I guess it got them to do was to think about the good of the group as a whole rather than the nine people, rather than just the three people. Oh, yeah, we said that with. too, didn't we? We said, yeah. uh, if, if everyone's not happy, then we're not done. Yeah. So we need to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't take that long in the end, really. No, it, it didn't. It didn't get there. No, but it's a nice, um, it's a nice principle. And yeah, that, that sense of looking out for each other is pretty important, I reckon. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions as we wrap up. The mm. first one's about, I guess, a subtle disruption or a disruption that you'd like to be part of later in your life or one day, something <laughs> you daydream about that you're not currently part of. Mm -hmm. Is there something that comes to mind when I ask you that? Yeah, it, what comes to mind is I, I do like the idea of creating disruption subtly. Um, so good podcast name. <laughs> I... I think for me, it's probably the music stuff. So uh, it's about a, a cultural impact. I've just recorded an album with my band, which I'm pretty proud of, and I'm going to release, start releasing later this year, and, and release the album early next year. And there's something that I'm I can do in that space that I can't do in any other space in my life, and I'm pretty excited about it. And we've just started to scratch the surface of it. I think I've got an amazing group of musicians who I play with. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably the most, it's probably the most important thing to me that I'm not f fully pushing out there right now, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the facilitation work I do with CSL, that's happening, I'm doing it. I mean, it, the, my own business, which is, you know, I'm calling Cloud Catcher, is uh, happening. I've got clients, I'm doing work for good people, doing good stuff in the world, helping facilitate good outcomes. So I'm doing those things. But the third sort of thing in my world is my music, the creative space. And I've been doing it for a long time, but I've never really got behind myself, if you like, and pushed it out there s strongly. And I think it's got a different sort of potential for a different sort of disruption. Um, I can be direct or emotionally direct in that space in a way that I just can't in conversation, even a you know, conversation w with anyone. It's, it's different yeah. because I'm adding... Um, metaphor and story and the expressiveness of a singing voice which has got so much you know range and uh, potential power to it that you can really uh, howl or um, croon or you know all, a whole range of expressive emotions which is just so so great for expressing the sorts of things that I want to express through that form yeah through that space um, and it's partly for me about um, there's a thing that I wish existed in the world and so I'm creating it 
I guess. The thing is, is the, yeah. the music. So there's a okay. there's a there's a thing that I f feel yeah, this deep gotcha. missing yeah. in in myself and in the world around me. I feel like, given the context that we're living in unprecedented times, which we talked about at the start, given the the fact that we as a species are pushing the um, planet's um, systems to the brink, um, given the fact that you know half of mammal species have disappeared off the face of the planet in my lifetime. I'm not that bloody old. Um, I, I don't like the idea of living in a world where someone or something isn't singing about that mm. and what it feels like. Yeah. In all its um, difficult, dark, beautiful um, complexity, not just, um, I'm not just talking, I'm not talking about protest songs or about trying to you know, stop logging happening. Although I'd really like to stop logging happening. It's not about that. It's um, it's both more subtle and I think more pointed at the same time in some ways. So I'm I'm still working out what that is. I'm still exploring it by doing it. But it's that's the thing I think for me that I'm really pushing into and pretty pumped about. Yeah, it sounds cool. Mm. You know, as I said, I haven't been. Well, we we're talking earlier. I haven't been to one of your gigs yet, but I really want to come along. That line you just said, that dark, beautiful complexity. That's um, that really strikes a chord with me. That's a uh, that's a nice line. That's a great line. I feel like that's <laughs> that's where we are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's hard for us to acknowledge it though, right? Like it's uh, we we don't we don't always talk about that. And it, it, there is a I mean you know there's a sense which is true to a certain extent which that we it's hard to go into that space boldly and bravely. It's hard to accept and acknowledge the. the scale and urgency of what's happening around us yeah. um, and not get overwhelmed by it. And I get that. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's always a complex balance. And I feel like the music's cool, aside from all the other things and, and just loving making and being in the music space. The music's great because it, um, it's got potential to kind of get around our rational faculties, get around and through the blocks and barriers we put in our own way yeah. so that we can sit with stuff that's difficult but important so we can sit with stuff that's um, complex and that's actually rich and beautiful and um, y useful but that's otherwise maybe hard to get to yeah. and I know it works for me at very least I know I'd also know that you know some people that come to our shows and listen to our stuff dig it as well but yeah. at, at very least it works for me and so that's <laughs> you know that's that's actually a pretty good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The last question is about yourself. Um, as we mentioned, as well as we know, this podcast is called Subtle Disruptors and I'm curious about a subtle disruption that you've made in your own life that's maybe started you on this journey or um, got you to where you are now or maybe sustains you on your way. Mm. That would be something that's potentially interesting for other people to hear about as well. A doozy for the last question. What is that? A subtle disruption that I <laughs> <laughs> subtle disruption that I've made in my own life. Yeah, um, a small change, if you like. Yeah, yeah. you know, there's, there's small change that's been important. You yeah, mean. a small change that's been important. Mm. That's right. Yeah. What is it? Oh, yeah. I guess I guess there's so many. I I feel like I make lots of little. I, f I feel like I'm quite a I feel like I'm slow to turn around in some ways, like a, a big ship, you know, like that it's, it's a wide turning circle. Yeah. But then I'm constantly making little adjustments and, and tweaks and shifts. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm vegan now, but it took me 15, 20 years to get to this point. I didn't just dive in. Yeah. I, I cut down different sorts of meat. I cut down and cut down and got to this point where I am and I'm, I feel good about it now because I've turned the ship through that wide turning circle around to that thing so though there were a thousand little subtle disruptions through that process and backward and forward steps and I'm sure there will be as I go I'm not um, yeah um, and I guess there's lots of those in all sorts of aspects of my mm. life I, I think um, for the first time a year or so ago I said no to a job that um, was offered to me where you know I could have done some work made some money um, and moved on but it didn't feel aligned with the, the more the, the, the critical edge 
of stuff that I work I want to be doing in the world. Yeah. So that was a really important little, you know, saying no. Yeah. Um, one of my mates says that n- n- no is a complete sentence. <laughs> I like that idea. And, it, and it gave, him saying that gave me permission to, to, to just be able to say, you know what, thank you, but no. And then uh, that's okay. And I'm always balancing, you know, you've always, at running your own business, you've always got to balance that stuff. But I want to just keep pushing myself as far as I can to whatever I see as a critical edge of doing good stuff in the world. Yeah. Helping groups who need... Um, support or service from me where I can be useful um, and probably the the I'm giving you three I guess but probably the bigger the, the main one was actually taking a bit of a leap quitting my job and trying out the idea of doing work for myself which is maybe not so small but it's it's just been dynamite yeah yeah so now, now I get to work in this you know beautiful room in my house uh, to my own schedule with people who I love and care about and, and want to work with um, helping people doing good stuff in the world to do it better if you like and yeah it's an ongoing balance but it's, it's getting better as I go well yeah thanks for inviting me into your house and allowing us oh, to, pleasure. to sit in this room I've really enjoyed the chat and um yeah, looking forward to hanging out and hearing some more of your music as well. Thanks, man. Great to chat with you. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own subtle disruption. Bye for now.